You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hi, and welcome back to Make It Thrive. I hope you all enjoyed season one. And for season two, we really do have some more interesting conversations opening up the landscape on company culture. We've got everything from building diverse teams, improving learning and development, talking to award-winning company cultures and getting to grips with some of the nitty-gritty topics about company culture as well. So I really hope you did enjoy season one. If you haven't caught up already, go and uh, take a listen through the other eight episodes that are available. So on today's podcast, I'm talking to Drew Pontikis the software test practice manager at DisplayLink about the benefits of building communities of practice within a company culture and how it can dramatically improve learning and development. So let's get started. Hi Drew, um, welcome to Make It Thrive. Give us an introduction to yourself and tell our audience what communities of practice means. So hi Lizzie, uh, yeah so I'm Drew and I'm I have been working in software testing for the past 10 years or so, but maybe the last three or so years, I've been much more involved in communities of practice. Uh, Communities of practice, they're certainly not a new idea. They've probably been around for maybe around 30 years or so. Uh, The concept itself also isn't all that novel or unique either. It's perhaps just a simple collection of people with a shared passion or interest in something that they do. I think the reason perhaps they've been becoming more prominent in the past few years or so is because they fit very well with our sort of more modern agile ways of working and they kind of fill a gap mm. that uh, perhaps companies are experiencing that they weren't having before. I think yeah. um, back when I first got into software, uh, we used to sit in very traditional areas. We had all the testers sitting in one area, the programmers sitting in another area, and maybe the business analysts sitting together. And that was good for sharing sort of hints and tips and practices that you might find in your role, but it wasn't good for team working. We did, um, we moved these people to sit in multidisciplinary teams and that was good for the product. It was good for the team and the focus, but it took away that sort of group shared learning. And uh, that was something that was kind of left behind with these new practices. So communities of practice are just a case of bringing people with a shared interest in a shared role with, but now with varying and different experiences from being off in their own teams, just bringing them back together and getting them to share and to learn together and be able to bring in the good things that they're learning from their teams and their own experiences and take out the things that they've learned uh, as a group and from their colleagues doing similar roles but elsewhere. Something that I'm extremely passionate about in company culture is the area of learning and development. It can often be quite a sticking point for companies as they're not sure what to do, how to invest in um, in particular practices, etc. So how do you think organisations can adopt some of the ideas of communities of practice? 
Well, it's a really good question, actually, because I spend so much of my time now talking about communities of practice, particularly with people who work for companies where they don't have them. And my argument is you probably already do have them. You just don't call them that. You know, I don't think any of us work for companies where we don't have, uh, say, a team meeting or uh, a company all hands or something where we get everybody together and we talk to each other. Or you might, for again, working in the technology sector, you would have maybe a monthly meeting where all your test team come together and you might share in experiences you might have your programmers come together to share a coding practice or something like that just because you don't call them a community of practice doesn't mean they don't exist when you recognize that um, and you spot these already existing sort of pockets of communities if you start to recognize and acknowledge them and put faith in them that is where they start to really kick on and become really that much more powerful mm. so um, what I would recommend to someone who's looking at this is you will find them because they're always there whether they're formal or informal um just bring them together and say okay we're going to support you we will give you uh support and backing to do what you want to do now tell us what you want tell us what you want to do um my advice for my first step is always to as soon as possible with a community when you bring a community together is to get them to set themselves a vision or a charter and say this is what we're about this is what we want to do and this is what we want to achieve and the reason for that is you have all these people of different experiences of backgrounds or um different sort of knowledge spikes and uh, peaks and troughs and all it does it just points everybody in the same direction and then everybody moves forward together I love that. That's some very constructive advice there, Drew. <laughs> so how have you been putting communities of practice into action where you are? Can you tell us a little bit about your sort of experience at the moment? So, with it? Yeah, so my, my sort of experience, it comes from a very selfish place because uh, I, um, <laughs> uh, the, my whole sort of stepping into these kind of things was on a drive home from a conference with uh, a, some conf uh, some colleagues and talking about just wanting to get better at public speaking. And we all sort of nodded to each other and said, yeah, we all want to kind of do that. So um, we started putting together uh, some ideas about how we would do or what we might talk about and what uh, kind of what kind of topics we could talk about or present and we started out with this concept and it was a fortnightly gathering and because we were all software testers and we love a good pun we used to call them quality talks and fortnightly we get our whole community <laughs> together and we'd share something that we learned and it was just an excuse for us to do some public speaking to um, get better at it get our mistakes out the way in front of a nice safe audience and not um, uh, end up looking Absolutely. stupid in front of a big group of people and it kind of took on from there because from doing that we kind of enjoyed doing it other members of the community started to uh, want to get involved as well which was great and we found our role was going out and actually helping them get better at what they wanted to do and learning that way and it all kind of stemmed from that kind of thing. So I started uh, a little bit later on, I started an evening meetup as well, uh, which uh, the idea was to bring other software testers together that we might learn something from them. Uh, 
I, at the turn of this year, I joined DisplayLink. Uh, I'm actually joined as their software testing practice manager. So my job now is exclusively working with the software testing community of practice. And really what I'm doing now is uh, I'm helping them as a community to focus on what they want to learn, actually be able to build that backlog of things that they want to go and experience. And they once they've experienced it, what they want to share. Um, I help facilitate the sessions and make sure that they are prepped and ready to talk about what they want to, that any concerns they might have about running a workshop or talking in front of their colleagues, that they're supported and comfortable with that. Um, I try very hard not to manage uh, any of those things because I feel like what I think the last thing that these kind of, these kind of things need is to be stifled with um, being forced yeah. to do things in a certain way. You want people to express their creativity and be um, comfortable with what they're doing and not having to do it to a particular framework. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably how I am. Um, that's probably how I spend my time now. <laughs> well, I think that's a very well spent time. I really do because what I love most about communities of practice is the autonomy it allows individuals with the very role that they do on a daily basis. So, like you've touched on there, you know, rather than allowing a hierarchy to sort of dictate how things are done or should be done or what should be learned, it's down to the group to make those decisions and kind of innovate. And I think that's what I really love about this sort of style of knowledge sharing, essentially. Do you think this type of sort of forward thinking support can be adopted in more company cultures? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely can. Um, I think one of the things that we have to accept to the world is that modern business demands autonomy with its staff. If you uh, if you really? want to uh, have this closely guarded, um, rigid structure where everything comes from the top down, you've already been left behind before you started. And I think there is there is good grounds for giving your staff autonomy because I certainly don't know how to do my job as well as the people who are currently you know, are doing the jobs right now. With people in the test community, they're all much better testers than I am. And the reason being is they're doing it every day. They're working with our products. They are building stuff. I shouldn't be the one telling them what to do. I shouldn't be the one telling them what to learn. Um I trust them to be doing a good job. I trust them to be um, telling us we need to know this. And I don't see why that couldn't apply to any other company or any other industry even. I think <laughs> if you trust your staff to be good at their jobs, then you should trust them to know what is going to help them get better at it. You might need to help pull this and pull all the information together perhaps at a higher level and maybe you've got one team wanting to learn something and one team wanting to learn another and that falls under the banner of coding or communication skills or um something like that but ultimately you should be letting um you should be letting your staff tell you this is what we need to get better because they're the experts and that could work anywhere definitely no i really do agree with you that building kind of if you keep going along that old legacy of the sort of top-down approach you're going to get quickly left behind especially of how fast things are moving forward these days as well you know um you have to keep at pace and i think the only way to do that is through this sort of knowledge and learning 
that happens. Um, and I think you're right. I think developing these communities is a vital aspect to our modern company culture. And I believe it's something more people need in their workplace. Um, I mean, data has revealed that 87% of millennials say that professional development and career growth is important to them. So do you think community as a practice is something only seen for the tech sector or do you think any organisation can adopt uh, it? Well, whilst my, all my experience is in the tech sector, I don't really see why not. I mean, one of the things that they that communities of practice really um, brings benefit is what are called T-shaped employees, the ones who have a particular skill set and are really good in one area, but can also branch out and do other things. And any uh, role or any sector or any company where you expect your staff to do these different things and not just have a single sole skill set can benefit from uh, these ideas and communities of practice. If you think maybe um, if you go to, if you take your car to a garage, for example, uh, you don't have one mechanic who looks after the tires, one who looks after the engine, or one who looks after the windscreen wipers. You know, you have someone who can look at all these things. They've got to get their skills from somewhere. They can go and uh, learn skills from somebody else. They can uh, share what they know about their particular expertise with others and bring everybody up to that standard. Definitely. I love that. I, I really do. I think it's so important, the knowledge sharing, because we, we learn best from each other. And especially when we're doing something on a day to day basis and in, you know, we are in the role we are, we are living and breathing it. And I think you're right. You know, you, it allows such a versatile skill set to be created. And, and that's ultimately what we need. We're, we need to have more diversity in our talents, especially, you know, I suppose there's a lot of uh, talk at the moment about the trends of AI and how that's going to replace us all and things like that. So we have to become these versatile, um, talented, multi, multi-skilled people. So I know I've spoken a, a, a few times on this podcast, we're now working in environments with, you know, even multi-generational skill sets, you know, we're no longer just um, the millennials, it's also where, you, you know, you've got, you've got baby boomers and Jed Zenners coming up. So we're creating almost this um, workforce for the first time in history where we've got so many different generations working in one space. And the skills gap and knowledge gaps between people in the same team can sometimes be vast. So do you think building communities of practice can help to sort of bridge this gap between different yeah, generations? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's always a, it's always an interesting challenge when you have a, a community or a workforce or a set of employees who have that sort of mentality. You know, I have worked with them. Um, I've worked with people, for example, who have turned around to me and said, uh, I just can't work with millennials for example, which is a dumb thing to say, but, um, <laughs> right. um, you know, but you have the really different, you know, you have this multi-generational um, works, works, workforce now, and you have to learn to work with it. I would say, think of it like this. Mm. Uh, if you are, if you are a manager of a team, you go to your team one day and say, Hi, everyone. Uh, you've done a really great job. Uh, as a thank you for all your hard work, I'm going to take you out for lunch. Where do you want to go? You will have some who say they want to go get pizza. You have some who want to go for Chinese. Some will want to go for a curry, you know, and on and on it goes. You know, <laughs> not everyone agrees what they want. So you don't go. Oh, well, in that case, forget it. You know, you just leave them to it, don't you? You say, um, you, you say, OK, well, decide where you want to go. Let me know and we'll do it. 
they'll talk about it. Uh, someone might put up a little voting page and they'll all vote on what they want. Some people will compromise and ultimately they'll go, okay, well, we're getting a free lunch here. Let's just do it. And they'll pick one and they'll say, okay, let's go somewhere to go. A community of practice is just the same thing. Is we act like there's this huge divide between the generations that uh, millennials and boomers and Gen mm. Zers all want different things. And if you ask them separately, yes, they will, because there's different learning preferences, there's different learning styles that come with those generations. But you don't do that. You get them all together and say, what do you want to do? So these guys over here will say that uh, we want to we want to learn about this because this is our preference and we want to learn about it this way and then your other and then another section will say well we want to learn about this and you'll bring this group together and they'll all they'll self-organize and they'll bring themselves and say this is what we want to do and then you give it to them it's you know it's much more simple than people think it is you know i'm i underplay it of course because it's for you know it is it takes a while but <laughs> you've got to trust people to not be these boxes and think that um they can't you know just because i like things this way i can't work with anybody else you know nobody's like that and ultimately give you give people yeah. time and they come to a compromise and they work out how to move forward definitely yeah it's kind of like that people presuming that people are always just such a rock and a hard place they're not they're not immovable in any way and where it's completely false a way to look at things it really is because everybody wants to improve and and be part of a community in some way it's kind of inherently human isn't it really um but what I love about um communities of practice is there's a very human element to it something which I always feel like I'm going on about especially when it comes to a lot of the things that we do with Liberty Mind but many organize many organizations keep sort of trying to remove the human element from the workplace you know you get all this terminology like a machine or cogs and things like that it's very cold and unapproachable um you know it, i mean sometimes it you know i think it began really with like emails and slack people literally email each other when they sit opposite each other now it's become rife with hr tools and learning and development programs it's very cold and not much sort of human interaction what would your advice be to companies trying to swap the human community for the online community? Okay. Uh, do you know what? I would say go for it. I'd say if what you if you want if what you want to do <laughs> is if you want to have an online community, then brilliant, go for it. I will. I would say I'm going to give a little plug here now, actually. But the biggest and the best community practice that I'm part <laughs> of is the Ministry of Testing, and they are almost exclusively based online. You know, I get support as and when I need it. I have training available at my fingertips at a time that in a place that's convenient for me. And I have the I have a connection and contact to. Uh, testers and like-minded people all over the world. What I would also say, though, is um, I what that community also gives me is regular opportunities to meet people face to face, and. Uh, there are conferences that I can go to. There are meetups where I can go and meet other people and we can all share these experiences together. And I think the important part that um, people, that companies should understand is people getting the equality of experience and not having mm. um, an online community as a dump where they can 
push messages out, having uh, somewhere where someone can post a standard or something like that and say, I expect everyone to follow it now. Just have a place for discussion and openness where people can have the similar and sorry, have the same footing in those discussions. If I give you an example, um, uh, one of mm. the um, things that uh, comes up in my and my day job at the moment is uh, the company I work for, the test community is currently split across three different countries. And if we say, if we said we couldn't do it, we couldn't have our community online based, then we would be saying we couldn't be a community anymore. But there are a number of tools that can help with online hosted community gatherings. Um, and I would encourage thinking about what you want to get out of your community. I mean, my a tip that I would give is one of the things that I find works particularly well is trying to pick a tool that lets everybody have the same experience. So if some of the worst sessions that I've been in, involved in would be ones where you have some people sitting in a meeting room together, dialed into a video conference call with one or two people are sitting at home because everybody's not getting the same experience. Some will feel left out. Some will feel like they're watching another people have a meeting. Some of the better ones that I've been involved in are where everybody's using a tool or an app that uh, where everybody is all doing it based off a individual webcam and looking at uh, looking at their right. laptop screen. So and they're presented with a wall, a just a screen full of other people's faces doing the same thing. So everybody gets the same experience. And by doing that, you level the playing field, and everybody gets the same thing out of the session. Now. I should say there, there genuinely is no substitute from having face-to-face -face time and being with someone because you don't have the uh, the sort of almost subconscious latency of doing a video chat with someone or uh, the no infer right. the lack of inference you get from typing a message or waiting for someone to reply. There's nothing worse than typing something you're not mm. sure about and then seeing such and such is typing for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds, thinking, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> you know, there's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> that replaces having that face-to-face -face time. But I would say, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say don't, you know, we shouldn't, think of the online tools or having an online community is a bad thing it just requires just as much work as a face-to-face -face one definitely so you think a really good mix of the two can actually probably be a, a really a big benefit really but it's just managing those as well the expectations yes, ultimately absolutely. really fantastic no I think that's some really solid um insight there because I think like you say that the benefits of an online community provide you know international experience which is not something you can get from you know just around the corner or perhaps in your own um, sort of team so I think you know mixing it with the online and the human experience can really give you a very well-rounded um, discussion ultimately so just wrapping up then Drew how can more organizations start to create their own communities practice do you have any tips Yes, so I'd love to pass these off as mine, but they're not. They are, um, these are the <laughs> tips that come from a lady called Emily Weber, who's written a fantastic book about communities of practice. And her uh, key points are, you should, if you're starting with a community, you should meet regularly. Uh, her recommendation is you should meet uh, maybe once a week. Uh, you should 
uh, have a shared purpose, as we talked about earlier on, the sooner you can get a vision, the sooner you can write yourselves a charter and say, this is what we're about, this is what we stand for, um, the better, because that gets everybody facing in the same direction. Uh, my personal favorite, because it kind of keeps me in work, is having a leader and not necessarily someone to manage your sessions, to manage your backlog and to manage the people within the community, but to be there to facilitate and support and help guide people to new experiences that they can bring back and share. Be prepared to invest and give them the time and the support and perhaps the financial backing to go and do what they know will help them get better at their jobs. Definitely. I, that is some very constructive um, advice there. Thank you so much, Drew, for uh, explaining communities of practice to us all and sort of discussing the ins and outs and the experiences that you've got. I really think we're going to get some interesting feedback on this conversation. So thank you Brilliant. so much Thanks for joining for me. me today. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.